Let's begin by reading Psalm 106, verse 9 to verse 13. Psalm 106, verse 9. He rebuked the Red Sea, and it became dry, and he led them through the deep as through a desert. So he saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. And the waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed his words. They sang his praise. But they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. Some time ago, I was struck by the words of Psalm 106 and verse 13, which reads, But they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. Now, the context of that is how God led his people out of Egyptian bondage. They crossed to, they came to the Red Sea and he opened up that sea for them. They, and they crossed over on dry land, escaping the hand of their enemy who pursued them. They saw in those days the powerful hand of God. They saw how God had set them free from the bondage of Egypt by those ten plagues that devastated the land of Egypt. And while they had seen his power and his might and, and, and his majesty in those days, the verse tells us that they eventually came to a point where they no longer waited for his counsel. Instead, they began to take matters into their own hands. They made their own decisions without seeking the Lord. Now, the question I ask myself is this, what does it mean to wait for the Lord's counsel? And do we really need to seek the counsel of the Lord in this day and age? Well, one of the accusations of the Lord against his people, one of them, probably one of the most profound accusations of his people and is found in Judges chapter 17 and verse 6, and it reads as follows. Judges 17 and verse 6, in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, it's not one of the great problems we face in our day. Everyone does what is right in his or her own eyes. In fact, the opposite of doing what is right in our own eyes is waiting for his counsel. I was at a conference a number of years ago, and the missionary speaker shared how he was with his son in the basement of their house when they had returned home from the mission field. And his son was playing around near a fireplace, and in his playing, he tripped and fell, striking his head against the stone fireplace. And rushing over to his son, the father found him unconscious, and his first response was to grab his son and rush him off to the hospital. And when his son was in the care of the medical team, he breathed a sigh of relief, but there was also this sudden conviction that came to his heart that he had never once in this whole process committed his son or prayed for his son, he committing him to the Lord. And convicted of that, he went to the doctors as they were wheeling him off and asked just for a moment to commit his son into the hands of the Lord. Now, the fact of the matter is, it was the right thing that he give his, his son into the hands of doctors who would be able to treat him. But in that moment, he found himself trusting the doctors more than he trusted God. And it grieved him that committing his son to the Lord was not the very first thing that he did. 
And the question that we need to ask ourselves is this, where does God fit into our decisions? Where does God fit into our issues and our problems and our circumstances? Do we have more confidence in other things than in God? Our education, experience, or our personal abilities, do these things drive away our sense of needing God? I was in Haiti a number of years ago. This, of course, is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, and all around me were, were needs. I would see people standing under gutters without a stitch on taking showers because that was the only source of running water that they, they had available to them. Everywhere I went, I saw people begging for food or for money. I heard about parents sending their young girls onto the streets as prostitutes because that was the only way they could afford to feed their families. So many of the children could not afford to be educated. Parents would send their children to orphanages simply because they could not afford to raise them themselves. But one of the things I did notice in all of this was that the, ch the churches of the country were filled with people who knew very well their need of God. They needed him in their sickness because there was no medication. They needed him for protection because they couldn't trust the police. They needed him for their children's future because they couldn't afford to educate them. And when I returned home to Canada and had time to reflect upon my trip, I began to wonder what many North American believers would say if I asked them the question, apart from your salvation, why do you need God? With free education and medical care, with government-funded unemployment programs, why do you need God? Who do you trust? Is God even interested in our everyday concerns when we can manage all by ourselves? Why do we need to wait for his counsel? Well, to answer that question, let's begin with Genesis chapter 3. Here we have the account of humanity's fall into sin, and in the center of that garden was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God counseled Adam and Eve that day and told them that they were not to eat from that tree. But one day, however, Satan spoke to Eve and tempted her with the possibility of eating from that tree, despite what God said to her, and listened to the reasoning of Eve on that particular occasion as she stood before Satan, contemplating whether she should disregard the counsel of God or not. This is what was running through her mind. Genesis 3 and verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then notice the reasoning. The tree was good for food. The food on it was delicious. The tree was beautiful, and the tree offered some significant benefits. And in the mind of Eve... It made sense to eat from that tree, and that day she ignored the counsel of God and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and sin and death were the result. Eve's life depended on her listening to the counsel of God, and even before the fall into sin, humanity needed the counsel 
of God. Now let's move ahead in time to Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. This time, Noah is the central character of the story, and God looks down on the earth in the days of Noah, and he describes for us the thoughts and intentions of the human heart. Listen to what God says in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Genesis 6 and verse 5. Notice what God says here about the thoughts and the intentions of the human heart. They were great wickedness. There was great wickedness in the human heart. And the human heart was only evil, and the human heart was only evil continually. Now remember here that these are the words of a sovereign God who looks down at the thoughts of man. And the question I ask myself is this, as I consider the words of God and the, to the people, about the people, and about the thoughts and the uh, and imaginations of the heart, the human heart, as I think about that, the question I ask myself is this, can I trust a greatly wicked heart to lead me in the right path? Can I trust a heart that is only evil continually to show me God's purpose. Moving it further ahead in history, we come to Jeremiah, the prophet, uh, in Jeremiah 17 and verse 9, and here's a man who describes for us the heart, the human heart. This is what Jeremiah says about the human heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Now, have you ever heard somebody counsel a friend to follow his or her own heart? Well, the problem with that counsel is in Jeremiah's description of the human heart. The human heart is deceitful above all things. It is desperately sick. And the question we must ask ourselves is, can we rely on the counsel of a sick and deceitful heart? There are many things in the human heart we dare not follow. The sinful heart is not a reliable guide into the purpose of God. Well, that's what the Old Testament tells us about the human heart. But let's move now into the New Testament and, and let's consider the words of Jesus himself, the sinless Son of God. Let's consider his words in Matthew chapter 15, verses 19 to 20. This is what Jesus said. Well, beginning at verse 18, this is what Jesus says, Matthew 15, verses 18 and 19. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Jesus describes what comes out of the human heart. And we have seen that over and over again in the history of humanity, the evil that com comes out of the human heart, the adultery, the murder, the, the slander, the jealousy, the bitterness, the 
anger, all of this originates in the sinful heart, according to Jesus. And the question we once again must ask ourselves, will we commit our lives to do what our heart desires? Will we allow ourselves to be directed by a heart that is capable of such terrible, terrible evil? Moving further into the New Testament, we arrive at the book of James, James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, and listen here to what James has to tell us. James chapter 1 and verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. We are tempted, says James, by our own desires. Our own desires literally lure and entice us, he says. And if we follow the desires of our heart, those desires will give birth to sin and ultimately to death. So will we trust the desires of our heart? If it is those desires that lead us into sin and away from the purpose of God and ultimately to separation from God. Consider now what the Apostle Paul has to say. This time, consider what Paul says about the mind that is set on the flesh. Romans chapter 8 and verse 7 says this, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Now, Paul makes some very strong sta- a strong statement here. The fleshly mind is hostile to God. The unregenerate mind cannot submit to God's law. What do you do with your passions and your flesh according to the passions of your flesh uh, according to Paul? Galatians chapter 5 and verse 24, he says this, And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Our passions and desires, according to Paul, need to be crucified, and a fleshly mind is hostile to God and must be put to death. Now, I'm not quoting anything we have not heard before. We've all grown up with those verses ringing in our ears. It's not that we do not know what the verses say. The problem relates to the application of those verses to real life. And what is the application? Well, can we trust our heart? Scripture tells us that it's deceitful and it's sick. Jesus shows us that evil of all kinds originates in the human heart. Can we trust the reasoning of of this worldly mind of ours? Well, Paul shows us that it's hostile to God and cannot submit to his law. Can we trust the desires of our heart? James tells us that those desires lure and entice us into sin and ultimately to death. And so where does all that leave us? It leaves us with only one true source, the counsel of God. And that counsel is is found in the inspired word of God and the leading of his Holy Spirit, who has come to be our guide and counselor. Now, this causes real problem for many. 
There are times when the scripture doesn't make sense to many people, and when that happens, they're left with human reason on the one hand and scripture on the other, and many choose their human reason instead of the counsel of God as recorded in the word of scriptures. For others, they've experienced the conviction of the Spirit, but also the voice of their own passions. And all too many times, that still small voice of the Spirit is ignored and we surrender to the shouting passions of our flesh. I've heard so many people say, well, you know, I shouldn't say this, but, and then they go on to explain what they shouldn't say, what the Spirit of God is convicting them not to say, and they go on in disobedience to that prompting, that still small voice of the Spirit in their lives. All kinds of excuses can deaden the conviction of the Spirit in our heart, and we know what we should do, but we're not ready to follow that leading of God's Spirit. And the question we must ask ourselves is this. Will we here and now accept the truth of Scripture? I can't trust the desires of my heart. I can't rely on the reasoning of my human mind. God's ways are higher than my ways, and I cannot rely on my finite and sinful reasoning, nor can I truly understand by my own reasoning the purpose and will of God. God has a purpose that ultimately defies my human reasoning. He has a way of doing things that defy logic and defy our own understanding. And if I'm going to walk as he requires, I need his counsel. Over the years, I've experienced many, many times the leading of God into things that I've been unfamiliar with. There have been times when I've wished that I could translate books and, and material into certain languages. And as I prayed, the Lord would lead me to another language I'd never heard of before. You see, I have to come to the understanding that I am not the one to tell God what to do. I must listen to what he has for me to do. And I must be, I'm not the, a leader. I am at best a, a follower. And I want to be a good follower of God. He must lead and I must follow. And he will lead through the scriptures that he has provided us. He will lead by the leading of his spirit who has come to be our guide. And we must be willing to listen because we cannot rely on our own reasoning. We cannot rely on our own heart. We cannot rely on our own desires and passions. They have been influenced and corrupted by sin, and there is only one source. The scriptures as the word of God, but also there is the spirit of God who leads us. God's counsel is the only source of our, our, our guidance. His word through the spirit he has given and through his written word our guide into all things. The only true and secure source is in him. And may God give to us the grace today to be followers and to seek his counsel.